0: this is a podcast about a character called the orange drake on kelly whatever paul would like to lead you to believe it is a real character please let us know in the reviews how much you love the orange drake on kelly thank you for listening
1: First of all, no, (laughs) Jeffrey is wrong. There is no orange Drake Kelly. There never has been. Also, thank you for listening to Make Believe Heroes, an actual play, 5th edition, Dungeons and Dragons adventure. I'm your Dungeon Master, Paul, and I'd like to welcome you to the second episode of Season 3.5, Convocation. I've been pretty excited about this one for a while, so I don't want to hold you up. Uh, We're going to get right into it. But before we do, I just wanted to say again, thank you for listening. Thank you for following along with us. I hope that you enjoyed the first episode, which I will admit was a lot of setup. But uh, these next couple of episodes have got some real doozies. Let's say that. They're they're a couple of real doozies, if I could say it that way. We are hard at work behind the scenes, getting everything edited and together for 3.5. And we are soon going to be rolling on season four. Just to give you a heads up, we are hoping to launch Season 4 in April. That's our goal, by the end of April, to launch the first episode of Season 4. In the meantime, between the end of Season 3.5, which will probably be within a week or two inside of March, we will be releasing at least four episodes of Make Believe Champions that we have recorded that will contain necessary information and setup for Season 4, as well as some ties to Season 3.5. So I hope that you will look forward to those. But uh, in the meantime, if you love us, go leave us a five-star review. Check us out on patreon.com slash Heroes. And now I know you all are ready to get into Episode 2, but first, let's talk about what happened last time on Make Believe Heroes. Last week, we saw as PB and J were set forth on the mission that Saul had dropped in their laps, being taken away from them. Along with Colmas, their new lizard-bat companion, they took a straight road toward Falling Grove. Along the way, they were visited in the night by a strange, red-scaled draconic figure who spoke cryptically of his master. In other parts of the world, High Cleric Glaron was scrambling for a way to reach Saul. He sent Pauline, a faithful tenant of the church of Pelor, to go speak with Brackel, and there she convened with Brackel and Cured, neither of whom could reach Saul with their far-speaking stones. Finally, we saw as PB&J arrived in the canopy, or what they thought was the canopy, only to be surprised and taken hostage by one many, a high-ranking officer in the elite force of druids and rangers, the Leafguard. And then finally, we saw as a black chariot made its way west toward Fallen Grove. Inside, we began to hear as a plan was forming between Lord Sebastian Blackfire, his wife, Talia Blackfire, as well as the Shiv. And dare we not forget our little friend, Miles, who is now paying a steep price for his aid in rescuing Misk. The night rolls on, and as that fateful chariot crosses the Kalin River, the crimson moon gleams menacingly down upon them. Far beneath, the drylands glow with the bloody light. The disparate clans each enter their tents and put out their fires for the night. They do not know what the red moon signifies, but their shamans warned them all not to look upon it in the night. The desert is quiet as the cool, dry winds blow across the wastes. Across the land, the peoples and creatures of Manumi turn their eyes from the skies and go on early to their beds. And as the moon sits high in the blackness of night, farther north, in the midst of the stark peaks of the Elder Mountains, there is movement. Between the summit of two mountains, there is a strange hidden valley like a bowl carved into the mountainsides. The ground inside is littered with rubble and ruin, the shattered remains of an ancient temple. A large bonfire burns in the center of the bowl, and two figures can be seen by the light of the fire. One is kneeling, his head bowed facing toward the other. His broad shoulders are decked in black-plated armor, his skin covered in red scales. Standing before him is a woman. She is tall, muscular, and broad-shouldered. She too is dressed in heavy armor, although hers is a dark, brushed metal with thin red etching throughout, and her dark, cherry-red hair is pulled back in a ponytail. She's turned away from the kneeling, draconic male, running her hand across an enormous, pitted stone statue of a reptile. After a moment of silent reflection, she turns toward her servant. They will be here soon, Beroth. It would seem that Dimborgus Vassal has made his choice, but he may yet be of some use to us. For now, return home and await further instructions. I shall return to Barlin's Pass tonight, after the convocation. I have called my brethren with the lunar sigil, They will undoubtedly arrive any moment. The draconic soldier stands to his feet, and with a silent bow, walks hurriedly into the surrounding darkness. The woman steps closer to the fire and leans down, picking up a dark helm, an obvious match for her armor. She places the helm on her head. Two prominent ridges run up from between her brows and back across the helm protruding with two black horns from its back. The fire gives a glow to her crimson irises beneath the shadow of the helm. A moment later, there's a sound of wings in the night. And then others begin stepping out of the darkness. First, a medium woman with a plain face, dressed in white robes, Her dirty blonde hair is very long, with small braids mixed throughout. On her brow rests a thin bronze crown, which shines along with the bronze iris in her eyes. Beside her, without noticing the slightest movement, there is suddenly a very short figure. Her form is hidden beneath a dark grey cloak, but a small tuft of copper-colored hair can be seen sprigging out from under her hood. Then, a tall man steps forward with his head held high. He is dressed in lavish robes of silver with royal blue threading. His bright white hair and radiant silver eyes glimmer in the light. Then one final figure steps up, leaning over to roll over a piece of broken stone, and takes a seat. He is dressed in simple traveling clothes with a bright countenance. His curly, brass-colored locks of hair bounce jovially around his face as he lets out a chuckle, looking around at his brothers and sisters. (laughs) Hail, brother. Hail, sisters. Why, look at you. Why, no one told me this would be such a formal affair, or else I might have donned my own traditional wear as well. (laughs) Leaning back against a broken wall of the ruin, he pulls a pipe out from his jacket, lights it with a snap of his fingers, and begins smoking. The silver-eyed gentleman chuckles softly. <laughs> I see you've not changed one bit, brother. Stepping over, he embraces his brother deeply. It is good to see you, Messing Kuma. You've been well? Oh, open cow, cries the woman in white, rushing over to embrace her brothers as well. <clears throat> Their happy reunion is cut off as the short, cloaked figure clears her throat, motioning toward the red-haired woman in black armor. Ah, Timpari always keeping us on our toes, yes, says Messingkuma. You do know we've all seen you. You can take off that silly hood if you'd like. Open Kell turns from his siblings toward the tall woman across the fire from him. She is right, of course. Or give us Rivora. It has been so very long since we have assembled for a convocation. Well, those of us who remain, he says, his eyes closing for a moment in reflection. It is all right, Hobbenkel. It is to be expected. But as you all must know, I would never have invoked the Lunar Sigil if it were not of the utmost importance. There are things that we must discuss. The woman in white steps closer to her sister. Rye, I have missed you dearly. Of course, we understand the importance of such a calling. Please, are are you in trouble? Do you need our help? It is not I who needs your help. Anciana. Rivora pauses for a moment, looking into the fire, and then she begins to speak. As I am certain you are all aware, things in Manumi have been changing. Our sister, whom we all believed to be dead, wreaked havoc on the canopy, and now she is dead. The first time that a Dracon Kelly has involved themselves in the matter of the world since the War of Light. And she hesitates. She chose to bow herself to the Crooked Father. Scanning the scene around her, no one will meet her eye. Even Messinkuma stares at the rocks around his feet. Brothers, sisters, we are to blame. We abandoned her at the behest of the gods and now she is gone. I have spoken with Atonia. A few unfortunate adventurers were lured into the grove of Atonia, where the god tree held the heart of the Crooked Father. With their help, Dimvarga removed the heart from the tree, and now the tree is dead, and it is gone. Gone? Says Timpari, her hood shaking back to reveal her round, freckled face and large, copper eyes. Gone where? Does... does he have it? No, says Hope and Kill, stepping forward closer to the light. He does not have it, Tempari. If he did, then we would all be dead by now. But if it is out there, as you say, Rivora, what exactly are you suggesting? I am not suggesting anything, Hope and Kill. The time for suggestions is gone. She declares, drawing from her hip a blood-red longsword edged with black. The time for action has arisen once more. Brothers, sisters, we were created for a purpose. We were created to protect this world, to teach the children of the gods and to shepherd them into a brighter future. And we did our part, yes. But now, our time has come once more. As quick as a serpent, she leaps forward, striking her sword down into the center of the bonfire. There is an outburst of deep red and black flame. As it licks up around her feet, she stands tall, facing them all in turn. There is movement of darkness upon the face of this world, and we are the only ones who can stop it. Dimvarga broke the silence of the dragons when she stood on the side of chaos. What are we to do? Go back to our homes? Return to our small, secret lives? Pretend that nothing has changed? No. It is time for us to stand and to fight. To lead the people of this world once more. Her exclamation is met with a pregnant silence. Moments later, Messing Kuma stands once again. Oh... Right. as fiery as ever what would you like for us to do eh we can't lead the people of Manumi they don't need us gods they don't want us they have their own kings their druids their governors the time of the Dracon Kelly is, is gone, it's over we are retired how can you say that missy the crooked father is stirring once more, says Pronciana. Certainly you do not think that we can stand by and, and do nothing if he seeks to break free of his chains. What do you think we can do, Pronciana? Took all four of the gods just to lock him up the first time. If he gets out, what do you think we can do? Sounds like a, a smoke if you got 'em scenario to me, <laughs> he says with a dark laugh, sitting down again on his stone. Tempari breaks her silence once more pulling her hood off completely. Messing Kuma is right. We did our part. We we can't go back out into the open. <laughs> uh, the, the, the world couldn't handle it. And if we did, what help would we be? Even in the beginning, in, in the War of Light, when we were still ten strong, we were barely able to overcome the darkness and the chaos. Or have you forgotten how Sinean died, Rivora? Rivora glares at her. How dare you? I have forgotten nothing. It is you who have forgotten. Sinean would not have wanted us to fade away into darkness, to hide and watch while the world tears itself apart. He would stand, and he would fight. You're right, Raivora. He would have. But he's dead. Sinean is dead. Dimvarga is dead. Venraya is dead, Kultarn is is lost, and, and Kilmond has gone mad. Half, half of our brethren are gone. The Shadows is where the rest of us belong. What can we do now with so few?" For the first time, Rivora stands silent. The flames begin to falter around her in the bonfire. The silence extends, growing, swelling like some great darkness waiting to envelop them all. Then, the sound of a wing in the night. Well, you were right on four accounts anyhow, Tempari. Stepping into the light comes a woman no taller than a halfling. She has brown hair with white streaking through it, and is dressed in an opulent kimono, black, with emerald dragons sewn into it. They all stare at her for a moment in stunned silence. Well, don't just sit there ogling. I know I'm beautiful, but you'll make a dragon blush. With a shout, Messenkuma leaps up, running over toward her. Ah! Vinreya! "'Bless the gods, how can this be?' He embraces his short sister, spinning her around in a hug. The others look on in shock and with trepidation. Hobankel steps toward her. "'Vinreya, is that really you?' "'Why, yes, dear brother, who else would I be?' "'But your body, it still remains on the island. "'I have seen it myself. How is that possible?' Benraya looks up at him with a sly grin. Oh, my brother, you know a lady never reveals her secrets. Suffice it to say that I have always had a way with misdirection. And that has not changed, even in my old age, she says with a wink. Carefully, Rivora steps toward her as well. Hello, my sister. As joyous as we are to see you, I would ask why you allowed us all to believe you had died for such a long time. But for now, I am willing to table that discussion for a later date. Tell me, how much have you heard? Do you intend to join me? To push back against the machinations of the Chained God? She smiles up at her tall, red-haired sister. Yes, Ryevora, I do intend to, as you said it, push back. She reaches into her kimono and pulls forth a small vial of black liquid. I purchased this off of a very interesting half-elf some time ago, just before our crazed sister tried to murder every soul in the canopy. If I am not wrong, I believe this is a part of Dimvarga, if but a small piece, although I don't know how. It would seem that whatever pact she made with the Crooked Father granted her powers unlike anything we six could ever imagine. Her dark eyes focus on the black, inky substance in the vial as it dances in the firelight glinting off of the glass. Perhaps we could use this in some way. I am inclined to believe that we might even be able to weaponize it against this chaotic evil that awaits. Rivora stands tall, her chin high as she faces her siblings once again. And now we are six, Tempari. What say you? Do you still think we should remain silent, Mesenkuma? And what do you say, Pronciana? Hopenkel, this is the time for action. We must choose our paths tonight. With a sigh, Mesenkuma lowers his head, running his fingers through his beard. It's been a real treat to see you all again, but I can't. I can't do this again. As much as we'd like, we can't turn back the ages, and our time is long past. If the fight comes to me, I will stand my ground, but I won't step back out into the light, Rivora. Not now, not ever. His eyes downcast. He turns from them all and disappears once again into the darkness. Tempari looks at Rivora intently. Then she looks to Vinrea. It's good to see you again, sister. I really did think you were dead. But I'm... I'm not ready to relive the past. I need some time to process all of this. I... I, 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 sh- I should go. Before any of them can say a word, she turns on a heel, and is gone. Hobankel sighs deeply as well. You can't blame them, Rivora. Not really. We are very different, aren't we? There is no one on this world quite like us, and our place has been very difficult to find these last few millennia. But as for my part, I am with you, sister. I have been doing my own small part to aid those working against the wickedness and chaos of this world, and I am ready to do more. "'Here, here,' says Pronciana. "'I will do what I can to help as well, as great or small as that may be.'" Rivora looks at them all for a moment, and then lowers her head in salute. "'Thank you. Thank you all. I believe that we can make a difference.'" If we can help, even in some small way, to prevent the return of the crooked father, then we have no choice but to do so. Vinrea steps forward, embracing her sister around the waist. There's that Rivora I know and love, so uncomfortable with sentiment. Now tell me, valiant leader, what do you plan to do? Rivora steps over to the bonfire again, retrieving her sword. Tempari was right about one thing. We are going to need some help. So first things first, let's pay our favorite little goddess a visit. Phil, Bill, and Jill, also known as Peanut Butter and Jelly... Along with their new friend, Cole, or Colmas, the lizard bat child of Dimvarga the Shapeless, are sitting in a circle, their backs to one another, their hands tied behind their back, with weapons pointed at them from multiple directions. Meanwhile, off to one side stand two figures. One is a very, very short gnome, and I say very short because even by gnomish standards, she is short, as well as a dwarf figure. A dwarven woman with red hair that is pulled up tight but hanging down in a sort of ponytail behind her head but around the sides and back of her head is shaved off and they are having a heated conversation the dwarf, her arms crossed before her, facing the gnome, says very plainly it's simple, we can't take this fe- we, can't- we can't take this beast up to the Corrine
2: we can't leave him here our orders are to protect the canopy
1: right from the likes of him.
2: Yes, but we can we can handle him.
1: Look at that thing. You can't tell me that he's not in some way connected to that beast. He
2: probably is.
1: It was a Drake Kelly, wasn't it?
2: You're correct.
1: We have to... say so we kill it. Mm. We just kill it right here.
2: Listen, it's simple. We need to take him to Nephi. Up.
1: A, you, you want to take this thing inside the canopy?
2: We are more than capable of taking him in there without any problems. We are the Leaf Guard.
1: Just march him right up to the Corrine?
2: Yes. You tie his hands?
1: How do you know that's not... Have you ever seen anything like that before?
2: No. But Nephil will not be pleased if we leave him here.
1: I'm not suggesting we leave him here. Dead. Okay. all right, You got me. You think we should take him up there? Fine. We'll tie him up. We'll take him up there. What about his cohorts? Mm. These halflings and the dwarf. They say they've got some important mission... This thing is helping. Do you believe them? Why don't you roll me an insight check?
2: I got a 14.
1: Okay, so with a 14, you don't sense any malice or evil or wickedness coming from any of them. You do pick up on a sense of urgency. And you don't necessarily have any reason to trust them, but they haven't given you any reason not to trust them. Okay?
2: Look... I know we're both in charge here. Everyone knows we're both in charge. We've talked about it. We remind them daily. It
1: doesn't... This is irrelevant. It really means a lot that we're in charge. It means a lot to you, but... uh, All right.
2: When they walked up, Hmm. the girl looked at me and tried to come over there and pet me, I'm pretty sure. And I was full fox. So I don't think they're here to hurt us.
1: Fine. We'll take them. But we're not taking that lizard beast into the coreyne. Yes, we are. No, we're not. No, we're not. We'll put him in the holts. All right?
2: Deal. I'm just going to shake her hand.
1: She doesn't shake your hand. She just turns around. You
2: know that's not very professional.
1: (sighs) She turns around. She shakes your hand. Can we get on with it now, please? Yes. Would that be all right with you? Yes, it is. All right. She turns and speaking in a different language than the three of you speak. She instructs the others. You, You know, you see the other figures dressed in the leaf guard armor. They step forward. Cutting the bonds from the three of you, P.B. and J., she steps forward. We're not going to lead you three in as prisoners, but your friend here is our prisoner. Until he has been freed, or at least cleared, by the Archdruid of Fallen Grove. Is that acceptable to the three of you?
0: I mean, it seems a little unfair, but... You seem like the law here, so I'm just going to go well, with I'd it. I'd say you
1: guys have become pretty good friends with him traveling with him for a couple of weeks, so you might be a little salty about it.
3: Yeah, yeah.
4: As long as you don't hurt him.
1: Colmas uh, raises his head, looking at the three of you. He says, it's fine. I will be. I'll be all right. You three go. And I am sure if this archdruid is a man of integrity, that he will see
3: the truth to your words. This is part two of redemption. Rise up.
1: He gives you a nod.
0: So, would we know about the sanction? Like, what the purpose is? You know, kind of like clearing... Sure. You know... Sure. Would that be something that we're aware of? Where we could be like, yo, he was sanctioned in... It might be.
1: Know? It might be when you speak with the Arch Druid. Okay, but um, not in this instance. These guys don't seem to be in the negotiating mood. Okay, but I mean, cool. you can try.
0: Nah, she's stubborn. I'm not dealing with it.
1: Then, uh, these three of you will go with Minnie... She says, motioning to the gnome. Uh, Minnie, you step up?
2: Yep. Minnie has her hands behind her back crossed. Mm-hmm. Well, like, her hands locked no, know behind what you mean. her back. Mm-hmm. Well, it's settled. Let's let's move it. Let's go. And she nods at people, kind of giving them mm-hmm. the signal.
1: They all immediately take off into action. There are two of them behind Colmas. They stand him up, and they have blades pressed against his back. The three of you are no longer bound... You are walking freely, but they're still falling behind you with weapons in hand.
2: Minnie the whole time will be, like, staring at the, uh, what is he?
1: You don't Whatever. know, lizard bat? Guy? She's
2: going to be staring at Cole, mm. uh, like, the whole time. Just kind of still with her hands behind her back, just walking around him, just watching him.
1: They step forward and they begin to lead you through the remains of these rotten tree trunks, etc., You make your way toward one of the still standing trees and it is an enormous oak in the center of this valley. It extends high up above you into the canopy of the leaves above you. And Olga, following along with you all, she steps forward and she presses on two knots uh, on the body of this tree, the trunk of the tree. And she puts her hands on them and presses. And as she does, you all hear this click inside. And then a secret doorway slides open inside the tree. You all step inside in a line uh, with the three of you toward the front right behind many some others behind you leading you and the rest have Kolmos still tied up behind you leading him through with olga coming in behind and closing the door once inside you climb up inside the tree there is a spiral staircase carved into the wood leading up inside this enormous tree the stairs head up uh, many floors if you were to count it that way although there aren't any landings, just a spiral stair moving upward, upward, upward. And finally, you break free in this dimly lit passageway. It expands out in this dim passage. And there are holding cells on either side. The bars are made of a petrified wood, but if you were to grab them and try to break them, you would find that they're just as sturdy as any metal enchanted. One of the leaf guard steps forward, waving a hand, and the wood simply spreads, making an opening. And they lead Comas inside, they seat him, and they step out, leaving his hands tied. With a swipe of their hand, they close the bars, once again locking him inside. And two of them stand there on either side, and Olga remains behind as well, as the rest of you continue through this passageway and onto another stair. This stair leads upward. A few more stories you pass through areas where there are more of these holding cells as well as like other rooms. Seems like maybe these are some lodgings and different things. You see a number of different things as you guys are going upward through this tree that has now spread many, many meters wide. It is probably about as wide as a football field and maybe, or maybe about as wide as half the length of a football field. And finally, you come to the top and there's a platform and a small door. You step through this door, and you step out into what you all don't recognize as the Sanctuary of the Corrine. The Corrine is the core, the center of the canopy above you the roof is sewn together with these enormous leaves of orange red yellow and greens these leaves are sort of a a strange viscous material that you can see through to some extent to allow the sun to come through but they are very sturdy and strong Uh, the floor is carved out of the center of this enormous oak and you can see all the rings of that tree and in the center there is a pedestal uh, that is often sat upon by the archdruid of Fallen Grove during times when the Corino Otonia will meet here to discuss all the goings on of Fallen Grove and of Otonia and of the canopy but as you step through that door with many leading the way many steps forward and there is a another figure that steps up he is a short figure. He's got kind of curly, not long, but kind of, you know, fluffy brown hair. Uh, he's a halfling. He is dressed in a deep green robe that goes down to about his knee length. It's buttoned together with those big buttons down the center, uh, and he's got some short pants on underneath them. And he's seeing Minnie, followed by the three of you and a couple more of the leaf guard, says, oh, hello, I suppose. Uh, uh, hello, uh, hello, Minnie. Uh, guests of yours? Do we lead our guests by the point of sword? She
2: salutes him real quick. Mm-hmm. Paudo, we got some important business to talk to uh, Nephiel about. Oh, and, this is um,
1: very formal. Uh, uh, hello, my name is Paulo. I am the caretaker of the Corrine now. I, I work here. <laughs> um, are you, he looks at Bill and, and Jill. You got, are you all from, from um, Brightport?
3: No, we're actually from Branshire. Wow, all the way from Branshire. What's it like over there? Well, we got cows. Oh, I've heard that a lot of farming. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: barley and corn and yeah. all that good stuff.
3: <clears throat> well, that's that's Bill. Uh, uh, no, uh, I'm sorry, not... Bill. Uh huh. Your Bill. Phil, and then we got Jill. Oh, I see. Well, it's it's nice to meet the three of you. What brings you here to uh, to the canopy? Make... We have a great mission. I am a paladin of Paylor, mm. and he has sent me and my great brother and my. Somewhat great sister on a mission to save the world. <clears throat> oh, okay. Uh, perhaps we'll have some time to uh,
1: to chat at some point. Um, what can I do for you, Minnie?
2: I need to see Nephiel stat.
1: All right. Well.
2: We haven't got time for pleasantries, Pauldo. You can have them later for drinks or whatever you want to do. Well, there's always this time is business. Oh,
1: for pleasantries.
2: You never take your job seriously.
1: But I understand. Um, okay, uh, if you'd like to follow me, he's meeting with uh, one of our allies currently in his office, so just follow me. Paldo turns, leads you all down a hall. There are a number of doors, and you come down to the very end. There are two sort of large doors with the Triquetra of Atonia engraved on the two doors. Paldo steps up with a simple knock. He says, wait here. He knocks and then steps in. You hear some muffled voices, and then Paldo pulls one of the doors open and says, ah, he he says to come on in. He'll speak with you all now. As you all step into the room, you all see this beautiful rustic room. There is a large desk that seems to be carved out of one solid piece of oak. And on the other side of it, there is a man. He is sitting there. He has his hair tied back like a tight bun sort of coming back on the top of his head back here, like a man bun. It is a dark, long hair. He is an elf, a wood elf. And sitting across from him at the front, who is now turned to the side, and not really facing you all, but can you know just kind of side-eye, look at you from the side, is a half-elf. He has uh, short, dark hair. Uh, He's dressed in a purple robe with eyes all over it. And as you all step into the room, seeing the two of them there sitting, uh, Pauldo says, well, I'll leave you to it. And he quickly steps out the door. Nephiel leans back, looking up. He says, Minnie, welcome. Um, Tell me, what is it that I can do for you today?
2: Sir, yes, sir. She salutes him.
1: It's at at ease, Minnie. Tell me, who are our esteemed guests?
2: I don't remember their names.
1: Uh, Introduce yourselves, please. I'm Bill I'm Jill. Hi, I'm Peanut. And I'm Jalil. I'm <laughs> Jalil. Uh, I like your eyes. This is Jim-a-lil. Uh We are discussing some important business, but from the sound of things, Pauldo says that this is a, a matter of some urgency. Is that right, Minnie?
2: Yes, this is a big deal.
1: And uh, what's what's going on? Give me a quick rundown.
2: Uh, I was in wild shape form doing my duty as Leaf Guard protecting the canopy and um, these people came and they have this person thing with them.
1: Person thing with them.
2: I don't know how else to describe it.
1: Well, um, Peanut you said it was.
0: Yeah, that's me. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from Branshire. Branshire? Yeah. I have a cousin there. Brackle.
1: (laughs) Oh, please.
0: Wait, your your cousin is Brackle? (laughs) Paul won't let me.
1: Branshire? Yeah, and how did you come to travel with these halflings? I suppose you're all just together. Oh, that's our brother. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Um. All right, Phil. What sort of being figure is it that that Minnie is, is talking about? It? and where
0: is he? Oh, are we talking about Colmos? Uh, yeah, he's Col- like he's a dragon. Colmos. Who? Um. Who is that? Uh, he's our lizard friend.
1: Lizard friend.
0: Yeah, he's like a walking lizard, black and dark green scales. It
1: was like, is he a dragon? Dragonborn?
0: Uh, no, definitely not a dragonborn. Um, best description I would have like a lizard bat. Jim says, <gasps> <Gemcess. laughs> Minnie. Yes, sir. Where is this
1: Colmas?
2: We uh we locked him up, sir, because we wasn't sure.
1: You have him in the holes.
2: Yes. Do I need to get him? No.
1: Why don't you go make sure that he is still there. Keep him there. Don't be cruel. And don't let Olga take things too far.
2: (laughs) I will not let Olga take things too far. Yes, sir. She salutes him.
1: We will join you soon.
2: Yes, sir. She salutes him again. And walks by everybody and kind of nods at him. Mm. And then walks out the door.
1: Jim. Me. Is it just me? Or does this sound in some way similar to the creatures that you and your companions faced when you were heading to Fallen Grove on your first mission.
5: Quite so, quite so. I, upon hearing the phrase lizard bat, it stirred memories. Why don't you go ahead and give me
1: a history check right now, actually, Jim?
5: Uh, I got an 18 plus 5. That's a 23. 23.
1: So as you're sort of, you know, all these memories are flowing back about lizard bats, and of course, as you have been, want to do over these last couple of years since, you know, the events in the Grove, you begin to search your memories, the ones that were originally removed from you. And as you dig into those memories, you remember one in particular, whose name was Colmas. You also recall that he was the same, that Laric Killed in horrible fashion using a witchbolt spell behind the home of Kellen, Elamir, and Granduncle Dimble.
5: Ah, the witchbolt, brought him good. Dusted him. We're all dust
3: in the wind.
1: But he's—they say he's downstairs.
3: How did he? Did you put him back together? He's always been together. We've we've been traveling with him for a couple weeks now
0: which, of course, this was after we got done fighting with him and he tried to kill us, and then... He does that, yeah. But, wait,
1: hold, hold on. Just a moment. Jim, are you trying to tell me that you know of this... I'm not keen on the term lizard bat. What should we call them? Draconians? They are the children of dragons, right? Well, I have them in my notebook as Lizardus Baticus. I see, but that's a scientific name, look. For the purposes of this conversation, let's refer to him as the Draconian. Well, in my dictionary, Draconian means a harsh ruler. Jim, I'm going to have to ask you to please rein it in. We've, we've had this same conversation dozens of times, but Bill, it is, right? Yeah. Why do you have this Draconian with you?
3: He said that he served this mistress of his a long, long time ago. Named Dimvarga. And then she apparently died, according to what he said. The moment that you say
1: the name Dimvarga, he and Jim make eye
3: contact. But she apparently died right. and he said that he was kind of outcast and then he he made his way to a temple Paylor and is seeking redemption from his evil past I find that somewhat hard to believe why bring him here because we were sent here on a mission with our friend Satsaris and then he disappeared and we still came after being told by High Claire, Glaron to come here you're just
1: sort of dumping information on me right now Jimalil Do you have any reason to think that this draconian creature might seek redemption?
5: Well, I long sought to study them, to interrogate one, to maybe even dissect one. But that's... don't don't, don't tell him that. Just to uh, understand them better. And unfortunately, every instance of interaction I've had with them has been hostile. But I also don't rule out the chance of redemption for any creature under the... Sky, now those things up on the astral plane, yeah, but under the sky, Mm. redemption is possible. And I don't, I, I can't say whether it's genuine or not, but it is remarkable at the very least that he was dust and now
1: he's together again. Remarkable indeed. We are to assume that the Dracon Kelly, Dimvarga, before she was killed, must have somehow returned him to life. He was a creation of hers, right? That was my
5: understanding. Was he created from nothing, or was he a creature perverted and broken by her magics?
1: I do not know. So this is why you've come? You've come to seek redemption for your draconian friend? No. No. Uh, And your name is?
4: My name's Jill.
1: Jill. Why have you come, Jill?
4: We were already on a mission with a friend of ours that... Has disappeared.
1: This Satsaris that your yes. brother has mentioned.
4: This Satsaris. And right before he disappeared, we met Kolmos. And I see. he was low. He was really low. So we brought him to the temple with us, where we talked to the person that sent us on this mission. And he told us to go ahead and take him.
1: But what is the mission?
0: So we didn't get told much, uh, mostly that there was a a god of some sorts, that this mission basically was to save the world. Uh, Something about what was chained will be unleashed?
5: No. Jim just points at him and says, no.
1: Wait, does Jim know about that? So Jim, over the last couple of years, has been serving as the emissary of Atonia, as Atonia's champion. After the events that took place in Branshire and the events that took place in the canopy with Dimvarga and him getting all of his memories back, he has gathered an understanding of the Unchained. He doesn't necessarily know all the details, but Atonia has told him enough to know, and he has heard these words, and he is familiar with what happens, which is the dimming of the lights, the cooling of the air, the... Standing of the hairs on your neck and your arm, and goose flesh, and just a sense of wrongness that fills the room. And Nephiel stands to his feet. What is this?
5: This is the greatest threat our world has ever seen. This is the reason Demvarga came here and attacked the canopy. This is her mission. To get revenge on the gods by destroying our
3: world. Paylor sent us on this quest to find these Unchained. Because he believes that they are currently trying to make their way here. To release the Crooked Father. As they tried in Branshire. To the point where they almost attempted to kill Paylor. And they might be trying to do the same thing to Atonia. He, like, holds up his hands. That's... That's all I know.
1: And that's it? You you just... You think they're here? In Fallen Grove? Fallen Grove is enormous.
3: Well, I mean, this is the center of Fallen Grove, right? They could already be here. They could have already
1: accomplished whatever goal you're trying to accomplish.
0: When we were sent, Glaren mentioned that he believes they'll strike here and that we have to find the Unchained before the autumn equinox.
4: Branchire was specifically hit during the summer solstice, so we believe that it has something to do with that.
1: It does stand to reason. Jim, you are the emissary of Atonia. Has she mentioned anything about this? About this day, the equinox? No, she's very
5: enigmatic. She never tells me anything.
1: Yes, that seems correct. Uh, She and
5: I, we just have, you know, it's mostly, uh, she points, I run,
1: which is frustrating because I really like to know things. Well, perhaps when we finish here, you might join me as we can go down into the holds and speak with this coal moss. Have a good look.
5: Jim's already halfway down.
1: (laughs) So the three of you have come here to fulfill a mission given to you by the cleric, of Paylor and Branshire, High Cleric Glaron. I don't know him personally, but I know of him. He's a good man from all accounts. They believe that this group, who I understand, tried to bring about the destruction of paylor and of Branshire, might be seeking to do the same here to our home and to our god. And by doing so, somehow unleash this being of great power, this crooked father, as you say, Jim. What do you think? Yeah, he's
5: bad news bears. We should stop him and make him don't do things like that. Jim, you have a way
1: with words. Um, The three of you, I can welcome you into the canopy. And I can assist you. You see Nefael kind of lean back and rub his eyes. Dimvarga, the on Kelly, she destroyed the canopy once. I would not see our home destroyed again, nor the rest of our world. You say that this crooked father, if he comes, he will bring with him destruction. A little bit. We must stop those who seek to unleash what was chained. I will... I will see what I can do to assist you. But for now, Jim, you and I should go and speak with this Colmas. Let's go talk to Colmas... As for the three of you, I would request that you stay here for now. Remain in my office. Aldo will see to you soon and make sure that you have provisions and a place to stay here, inside the Corrine. Do not worry about your friend. I do not intend to harm him, but I must insist that Jim and I speak with him alone for now. Will you agree? Yes. Nephiel stands to his feet, giving his three visitors a bow. Then he and Jim exit back out into the hallway, heading down toward the center of the Corrine. They enter the same side door that many used to enter down into the catacombs. Soon, they come to the holding cells. They are all empty for now, except for one. Standing on either side of the door is one of the druids of the Leaf Guard. The two of you may go for now. I am going to speak with this individual. They each give a slight bow and then turn, descending once again to the clearing below the canopy. As Nifael approaches the bars to the cell, Jim hangs back just out of sight. Inside the cell, Kolmas stands to his feet. Nifael's eyes grow wide, taking in the visage of this creature. By Otonia, what are you? Kolmas lowers his head in a sign of obeisance. I do not know what I am. I was once the servant of my mistress, Dimvarga, the Black Dracon Kelly. But now she is gone, and somehow I persist. Nephile stares on silently for a moment. I have spoken with your friends upstairs. They seem to believe that you are searching for redemption. Tell me. Kolmas, for what do you need redemption? Kolmas shifts his feet nervously, but then looks up at the sound of someone new approaching his eyes fall on a familiar figure one Jemalil Karth Kolmas stumbles back against the petrified wooden wall behind him it, it, it cannot it cannot be jemalil you live
5: yes but Even more, you live? I saw you get witch-bolted into oblivion.
1: Yes, I... I live. I don't know why. Our mistress, Dimvarga, she... she brought me back after I was destroyed by the elf.
5: She has that kind of power?
1: She did, but she is gone.
5: That's... that's true. But if she can bring others back, could she bring back herself?
1: She gave me life. She created me, just as she created the others like me. The simpler ones. She's your mom? My mother? No. She was my god. My queen. Huh. Nephiel steps back, just watching the scene unfold, looking very concernedly between the two of you. It is Kolmas, right? That is correct. Although my new friends, peanut butter and jelly, they call me Cole. Cole, Nephiel says. Tell me, Cole, why have you come to the canopy? I have come seeking redemption. My queen is gone. Somehow, although she has died and most of her other creations gone with her, I persist, and I have nothing, he says, looking down at his hands held open. You have your life.
5: That's more than I thought you'd have.
1: Perhaps you are right, but what is a life with nothing to live for?
5: I mean, you could live for finding something to live for. That's something to live for.
1: That is my goal. I have done many terrible things in the name of my queen. This world does not want me. I seek redemption. I seek forgiveness from the gods. Nephil says, which god? I don't know what to say honestly about you and your purpose. But your queen, as you call her, she murdered many of my brethren. She destroyed this place that you see here now. We have rebuilt it over these last many months. Has it been more than a year now? I'm afraid I cannot allow you to come into the canopy, Cole. Regardless of whether or not I believe your intentions to be pure. Jim, you have a connection with the gods, do you not? Uh, yeah, I'm a champion or something. Kolmas lifts his head. A champion of the gods. Just one. Which of the gods? Atonia. Ah, Atonia. She was the god which my mistress hated most.
5: Yeah, I picked up on that.
1: Yes, she often spoke ill of the goddess of Autumn of Fallen Grove. A trickster god, she called her. You see Nephi all kind of stand up straight a little bit at that. I mean no offense. Those were her words, not mine. Jimalil, if you would... He says, lowering his head again in respect. If you would take me to Atonia, if she would forgive me, if she would offer redemption, then surely, surely I could have purpose. Sure.
5: I mean, I'm on my way there. Just, you know, no shenanigans.
1: Shenanigans
5: like destroying the canopy or killing the gods or nothing like that. You know, just no backstabbing. It's not that I don't trust you, but I have to use an abundance of caution. You see, I was tricked in the past and I'm still working through trust issues.
1: I understand Jimalil. I will swear to you and to Atonia that I will come peacefully and I seek no harm. For myself or others. That's enough for me. He bows his head to the floor. Jim, I trust your judgment. After all, you were chosen by Atonia. But how (laughs) do you think that she will be all right with you bringing this creature to her? Well, I don't really know. And that's part of why I want to
5: bring them to her. So I can learn more of her nature I have gotten an interest in theology, you see, and mainly from having a subject I can study so closely. Uh, and also, I just want to say, I'm glad you trust my judgment, because I don't trust my judgment, but I trust your judgment, and so now I trust my judgment.
1: Nephile looks stunned for a moment. Y- yes, well, Um. alright, if you believe that it will be alright, and I- I'm certain that you can keep an eye on him. Then uh, I suppose that is good enough for me. When do you think you'll be departing?
5: In a few days, and yes, and Jim swirls. I'll keep a whole robe of eyes
1: on him. Do you feel dizzy, or have you gotten used to it at this point? He's gotten used to it. He's practiced. Uh, okay. okay. I see. Well, I um, we will keep you here, Colmas, if you will concede. I cannot allow you into the canopy. Even if I wanted to, I'm afraid that your life would be in danger if I were to allow you to just walk the streets. You might imagine that someone with your draconic nature, someone like I've never seen before in a place that was recently destroyed by a dragon, might cause a stir. So if you're willing to stay here, we will, we will bring you a comfortable bed and we will bring you meals. Um, the same meals that we eat, and we can provide you with books if you'd like, or I'm sure that your friends will come visit, but in just a few days, you say, Jim? Just a few days. Jim will come for you in a few days, and you are free to go. Uh, You're free to go now if you'd like, but if you'd rather stay here, I can promise you comfortable provisions, Um, but I'm afraid you can't enter into the canopy. Colmas sits back on his feet, I accept, and I am very grateful for your hospitality. Jemalil, I will await your arrival anxiously, and hopefully Atonia will have mercy.
5: Yes, hopefully so. I, I think, I don't want to get your hopes up, but I think
1: it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Nephiel turns to you, Jim, and the two of you head back up the stairs, leaving Kolmos behind you. Now, alone once again, Kolmas settles down onto a small cushion in the back of the cell. He is quiet for a few moments. Then, lowering his head and closing his eyes as tears drip down onto the floor beneath him. For the first time in his short life, he begins to pray. If the gods can hear me, I am sorry for myself for my mistress and I seek only forgiveness this has been make believe heroes season 3.5 episode 2 Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed this so far. If you have, then please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Or go to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash heroes to check out all the cool rewards we have on offer right now. We'll be back next week with the next episode of 3.5, and you do not want to miss it. Thanks for coming with us on this journey. We'll see you next week.